Welcome everyone to Couch Potato Diary, coming to you from the Clearwater Cleaning Solutions Broadcast Studio, your one-stop commercial residential cleaning company based out of Calgary with a fantastic team, ready to make your life simpler and easier by fulfilling all of your cleaning needs. Check them out online, clearwatercleaningsolutions.com. You can find me online on social media, Twitter and Instagram. I am at primetimekline, twitch.tv slash primetimepk, and you can email the show Diary at yahoo.com. Calm. Coming up on the show today, we run through what we saw in week 13 of the National Football League. And we get ready for Monday Night Football tonight with a preview of one of the all-time greats who played for one of the teams playing in this one. And then we close the show today with today's ticket presented by Betstamp, the Trivago of sports gambling. You can see the value of line shopping. You can see the value of having multiple different sports books and just be able to get a little bit more return on investment each time you play as you do that, the wins start to build up more and more, and it really is just a fantastic resource. Also, a number of expert picks available on there, and you can see how they are doing, and that's, it, it's just, it's a great resource. Download the app and use the referral code COUCH to let them know we sent you. Should be a fun one today. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Hi, I'm Kim Carson. And I'm Peter Klein, and this is We Had No Idea. A podcast about world events that you know about. But might have fallen asleep for during history class or social studies, however you learned history in high school. Each week, we'll do a deep dive into important topics throughout history. So whether you already know everything or feel like you need to top up on some history, we'll be here for you. Listen to us each week wherever you get your podcasts. Woo! All right, I think the obvious big story of the day is out in Cincinnati, where the Bengals once again beat the Kansas City Chiefs with a 27-24 win. And we've been waiting for Kansas City, or for Cincinnati, sorry, to have kind of that signature moment, that welcome back um, from the AFC title game and AFC championship and Super Bowl moment. And this was it. They, I, I didn't know if their offense could keep up with the Kansas City Chiefs. And then you see Chase back out there and he was 100%. And it's, oh, right, this team has so many weapons that they can go to. They were moving the ball so well, that opening drive. It's like, okay, you have to watch out for P. Ryan, who's a good uh, pass catching back. You have uh, Jamar Chase. Yeah, I have to watch him. Boyd, have to watch him unless he drops a touchdown, which was hilarious. Um, you have to watch out for Higgins as well. Oh, and the quarterback can run for a touchdown. Like, there's just so many ways... And there's so many ways this team can beat you. And Kansas City's defense just had no answer for it. And then on the Kansas City side, once again, there were times where it felt like a bit of a slog. We, we got back in. I mean, look, they scored 24 points and it's still Patrick Mahomes. But there was still some times, especially late in this game, where it kind of felt like Mahomes was waiting for someone to get open. And that never happened. And I think what we've seen over the last couple of weeks where it's okay, Kansas City has got this figured out. Um, but now up against an upper echelon team, maybe they necessarily haven't. Like, going up against the Rams, I think the Rams' defense is still pretty good, but it's easy for your offense to look like you've got it figured out. Going up against the Chargers, that defense had a bit of trouble with the Raiders the other day. So, or yesterday. So there. Um, then it's Jacksonville. And then, I mean, they had a low-scoring game against the Titans. Their marquee win against the 49ers back in Week 7. But... At this point, you're kind of seeing the the limitations of this offense. And it's not as limited as some other offenses, but when we're talking about like upper-tier offenses, 
there still isn't that one guy late who can get open downfield to kind of help you out. And it felt like that was lacking in this one for Kansas City. The one seed in the AFC is now wide open after this game. You take a look at the standings in the AFC. He says, stalling to pull the standings up. You look at the standings here. Buffalo is back on top at 9-3. and three. Um, You have Kansas City right behind them. A game back of Buffalo is Baltimore, Cincinnati, and Miami. Tennessee and the Jets are two games back. Like every, all of those teams have to feel like they at least have a shot. Like the Jets have to feel like they gave one away yesterday in their loss against Minnesota. They don't feel like a one seed, but they would have been a game back of the one seed if they would have been able to pull that off. Um, This AFC playoff race is going to be, I think, a lot of fun going down the stretch. The New York Jets just speaking of them, taking on Minnesota. I I was surprised at the issues that the Jets defense had against Minnesota's offense. Um, I that, that was not something I was anticipating when we picked the Jets to win that game on Friday. I The, the offense is close. Mike White, like, really struggled to begin with, fought his way back, and was able to get into a, a, a position where that team could have won the football game. I don't know if he's all the way there. Like he, I don't believe he is franchise quarterback guy. I think he is good quarterback while you get the rest of your team figured out. And it looks like they have mostly the rest of their team figured out. Again, one more weapon on offense would be good. Brees Hall missing him, I think, really hurts this team. But it does, like, I came away from this one thinking this Jets team is so close to uh, a breakout. And I didn't think we'd get to that point at any point here during the regular season. For Minnesota, it's it's a good win. Um, It's a win that they needed. They don't clinch the North with that victory because of a a Detroit win, which is a hilarious thing to to think about and say. Um, But they keep pace with the Eagles, potentially getting that one seed if there's a a couple banana peels slipped on here late in the season. They're definitely going to get the two seed and get that last wildcard team in the NFC, which could end up being kind of a not good team, right? Like it could either be Washington, Seattle, or the Giants. Like, even the two seed, I think, has value. And then you have home field advantage for a couple of games in the postseason. So, big one for Minnesota. Um, not a whole lot on the Denver-Baltimore game. Just once again, Denver's, we talked about it. If, they, if the Broncos scored 24 points in every game, they would now be, um, they, they would still be a one-loss team. That, that was, I mean, it was great for me because I'm not a Broncos guy, even a little bit. But that had to be so frustrating to watch from a Broncos perspective. Once again, like I know we're harping on it, but you gave up so many assets and so much money to a quarterback now who can't even get you 12 points to win a game against a backup quarterback. That's a monster win for the the Ravens. Um, The injury to Lamar Jackson isn't season ending, but now with the Bengals kind of coming on strong, I still think Baltimore can hang around in the playoffs, but the the division title, they're tied with Cincinnati right now. That division title might be slipping out of Baltimore's grasp, but I didn't think we'd get there at this point in the year. Miami uh, falls to the San Francisco 49ers, and I think what we saw as this game went along was the issues on the offensive line and how banged up they were. Um, Tua just didn't have a whole lot of time. They bounced back a couple of times with a couple of big plays to kind of look like they were hanging in, but overall, San Francisco was just too much, and especially with the issues on the offensive line that Miami was having. That This is, again, still an exceptional offense, and a team that still has a shot at the one seed. They are not a team I would want to face in the postseason, assuming they can get the left tackle position figured out. But Tua, once again, I thought 
at times it was like, yeah, this is the guy. Like this is this is that dude. But there was a few too many mistakes that it was just kind of, huh. I'm a little bit concerned. Now again, what's the takeaway from this? Because you like you can say this about every quarterback. Oh, just pressure him and he'll screw up. Yeah, that's fucking everyone, man. So I don't know if there's like a, a secret like, hey, we've unlocked something here with Miami. But I do think like MVP is probably out of the discussion now for for Tua. I think that one goes back to Jalen Hurts at this point. We'll probably circle back around to it being Josh Allen um, eventually. But for now, I do believe Jalen Hurts is the front runner for the MVP. And for San Francisco, like this offense is just too good. You cannot defend this team in the red zone. Once again, like Cincinnati, you have Kittle and Samuel and... Christian McCaffrey and Brandon Ayuk. There's just too many things to defend. We will see what happens with, well, I guess we know what happened with Jimmy Garoppolo. He is out for the season now because of the, that foot injury. Um, so now it's a dude who's played one game in Brock Purdy. I don't know. Like that, that hurts their chances. I think significantly in the NFC, but there's also like, he provides a bit of a different look to this offense because of how mobile he is. It's going to be interesting to see what San Francisco does here the rest of the way. They only have a one-game lead on the Seahawks for top spot in the NFC West. Um, top spot in the NFC is definitely out. Even the two-seed, like, they're only two games back of the two-seed, um, so it's still kind of in play. But I think the next few weeks are going to be to see what they can do with this new quarterback. Back in the AFC, the Chargers, once again, we talk about how infuriating that team must be. They just had no answer for the Raiders on defense basically all day long. Um, the, the Raiders end up putting up 27 on the Chargers. One thing that I was a little surprised by was how well the Raiders defense played. Like, we we had Justin Herbert over 300 passing yards in this game. Um, and just looking at the stats here real quick, I wish websites would stop bouncing around uh, with ads, but that's another another story for another day. Um, yeah, Justin Herbert, 335 yards passing. They only get 35 on the ground from Austin Eckler, though, and they were behind a bunch in this game. Herbert made some absolutely outstanding, amazing, ridiculous plays, but it never really felt like this offense was really threatening all that much. Like, this was a pretty convincing win by the Raiders, and I think it is too little too late, like we talked about on the show um, on Friday, the Raiders now with this win are two games back of the, the Jets for the last playoff spot in the AFC. So it can happen for them, but I think they are very much going to look back at a number of losses this year as a gigantic missed opportunity. They had the playoffs. Like they, they have a, I think a playoff roster now. I think we are seeing that, but I think that they're just a couple banana peels that they didn't need to slip on. They've got it back on track, having won three in a row, but losing to the Colts, losing um, losing to Jacksonville, losing to the Saints 24-0, losing to Kyler Murray early in the year. There are too many big losses on this team's resume that I, I think are going to come back to bite them in the end. Moving into the NFC, the Giants and the Commanders. Uh, both teams' defenses, I thought, stepped up. It looked... It looked like Washington was maybe going to run away with this game. They had a 10-0 lead. The Giants are able to come back. They force overtime. And then, for the first time really all year, Brian Dayball tells on everyone, or tells on himself to everyone, what he thinks of his offense. It is fourth and three. They are just barely outside of field goal range. With a minute 45 to go in overtime. And they punt. 
That is just screaming to the league. You don't trust your quarterback or the weapons around him. You have a mobile quarterback. You have Saquon Barkley. And you don't trust your team to get three yards? I thought that was a gigantic, gigantic tell about what this team views, what this coaching staff views this team as at this point. To not go out, like you get three yards, you win that game. You get, you're basically set up in a field goal range. You can run it with Saquon three more times, get a couple yards closer for Graham Gano to try to put that one away. Instead, he misses a 58 yarder at the end. I thought that was A, terrible coaching, but B, I thought that really, really showed what this coaching staff thinks of Daniel Jones and the talks of, oh, will he get a big extension going forward? Probably out the window. I think this team is still looking for a new quarterback. In terms of the actual result and what it means, like we said coming in, this was a must-win for both teams. They don't lose, but it does drop Washington out of a playoff spot at the moment in 7-5-1, now half a game back of the Seattle Seahawks for that last playoff spot, while the Giants are in at 7-4-1. Obviously a division out of reach now with the Eagles continuing to kind of run and hide there, but... The giant, like the Giants, I don't think are firmly in a playoff spot by any stretch of the imagination. As they stay, what is it, a, a game up, half a game? I don't even know on the Washington Commanders for that last playoff spot. That game that these two teams play in a couple of weeks is going to be massive. But the Giants really starting to fall off here, one three and one in their last five, and it's a tough schedule to close. They have the Eagles coming up next week. Then at the Commanders on the 18th, Christmas Eve, they're at Minnesota. Then they got the Colts, but then they're at Philadelphia. Like, they they could have one win the rest of the way and find themselves on the outside looking in on the NFC playoff race. The Philadelphia Eagles to stay in that division with a pretty convincing win over the, the Tennessee Titans. And this was one where it was kind of a, hey, there's levels to this game. Philadelphia, obviously A.J. Brown put on a show. I feel like he might be the most underrated receiver in the NFL. When he is on, no one can defend him. And we saw that a couple of times on Sunday where guys are in his face and guarding him and he's just able to make a catch around them. Like he he was excellent and he is the exact type of receiver that a young quarterback like Hurts needs. But this offense, like this team just dummied Tennessee all day. And Tennessee has been playing really, really well this season. And for the Eagles... To go out there and just dominate in that way was really impressive. For the Titans, um, th- there's obviously no concerns about this team going forward in terms of a, a playoff spot. They are they have run away and hid in that division. Um, they're not. I mean, they're two games out of the one seed, so maybe there's a, a chance that they can get into that one seed. But right now, I think it might be time to to start easing up on Derrick Henry a little bit and keep that monster fresh for the postseason. They have Jacksonville next week. That should be a decently comfortable win for them, and maybe it's time to to start working in a few more elements to this offense. Houston against Cleveland was a bit of an ugly one. Neither offense got going. It's what we predicted when we took the under on that game. Um, Unfortunately, a bunch of defensive touchdowns kind of make you sweat that result out down towards the end of it. Um, And then eventually here, just pulling up my notes, what was the, the total that we ended up closing that one on? It was... Oh, it was 47. We weren't even close. So there, we get the under on that one with a nice nice win there. It's going to take Cleveland time. Like, this is... They get a win. So they are two games out of a playoff spot. 
And maybe there's going to be a big turnaround with this one really quick, but I think this is kind of a lost year in Cleveland, and now they're going to try to get things figured out again with noted piece of shit, Deshaun Watson at quarterback. They close the season at Bengals next week. That's a loss. Taking on the Ravens, who knows, at their quarterback spot, home against the Saints at Washington and at Pittsburgh to close out the campaign. So some wins in there, but I don't think, like, you're going to have to run the table. I don't think eight losses is getting you into the playoffs in the AFC. And for the, the Houston Texans, like, they, they just need talent right now at every position. They're probably going to go quarterback at, with the number one overall pick. There's a couple of defensive guys we saw in the Georgia game against LSU in the SEC championship game. A couple guys on defense that could help this Texans team out. They just need talent everywhere. They, they need a couple of drafts like the Jets just had. Um if they're going to to kind of turn this thing around. Jacksonville against Detroit. A good win for Detroit. And they're, they're now kind of hovering around in the NFC playoff race, right? Like Detroit, um, they are currently sitting at 5-7, and seven, right? So they are two games out of a playoff spot. So again, probably not going to happen. But this is the trajectory that we had for them when we broke this thing down at the beginning of the year. Not a team that's going to threaten for the playoff spot like a lot of people thought they would on hard knocks, but a team that is going to take a step. And that step now, like they're they're beating up on teams they should be beating up on. They're hanging around with good teams. I think next year is the year that everyone thought this year was going to be. For Jacksonville, this one's unfortunate. Trevor Lawrence gets hurt in this game. Um, he does come back. And admittedly, I didn't see a whole lot of this game because it was kind of done by the, the second or third quarter here. And so didn't see a whole lot of Trevor Lawrence the rest of the way in this game. Uh, he goes 17 to 31 for 179 yards and a passing touchdown. He was sacked a couple of times. He made some throws that were elite level throws. Like he is finally starting to break through in a, this guy can be the best quarterback in the league one day sort of a way. It's been really fun to watch and it was really scary to see that injury because it does feel like it's just now starting to clip for him. And just kind of rapid fire, Chicago against Green Bay was a little bit ugly. Green Bay has some weapons here, man, but I think Aaron Rodgers got too used to being able to just throw the ball to Devontae Adams like Derek Carr is now and get yourself out of trouble. But they they are they are learning what they have in this offense as the season continues on here in Green Bay. They, they are learning what they have in Watson. They are learning how... Randall Cobb can kind of fit into the offense here. They are two and a half games out of a playoff spot. So again, it's not out of the realm of possibility because we've gone over what other teams' schedules are. Uh, they have a bye next week. Then they got Monday Night Football against the Rams on the 19th. Christmas Day against the Dolphins at Miami. Then they close the season with Minnesota and Detroit. There's a few winnable games in there for Green Bay. Again, I don't think eight losses is going to, to get you in, but it's not... It's not completely over for Green Bay as they continue to kind of figure out what this team is. Atlanta-Pittsburgh was just a game. Didn't There's not a whole lot to take away. That Pittsburgh defense, sorry, is starting to come on very, very strong here. And they're, they are at least going to be a problem for teams down the stretch. And the Rams against Seattle. Um, the Rams quarterback gets hurt in this one. It looked extremely violent and terrifying and probably like season ending for Walford. And then he was back out there two plays later. Seahawks come away with a win, but not an overly impressive one. Um, 27, 23, like the, the bloom is definitely coming off of the rose, but this still could be a playoff team for Seattle. One more game coming up tonight. It is Monday night football. The saints taking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a major point in this rivalry, or a major player in this rivalry, was Drew Brees, who completely turned the 
fortunes of the New Orleans Saints franchise around. When we come back, we'll have a just football profile on Drew Brees and what his career meant to New Orleans. That, coming up next. The studio sponsor for Coach Potato Diary is Clearwater Cleaning Solutions. They are your one-stop commercial and residential cleaning company based out of Calgary. They have a fantastic team ready to make your life simpler and easier by fulfilling all your cleaning needs. Drew Brees brought a Super Bowl to the city of New Orleans when they needed it most after being told he would never be able to throw a football again. But just how good was the now-retired quarterback throughout his career? The makings of a legend. Drew Brees was born in Austin, Texas in 1979. His father, Eugene, was a successful lawyer and his mother, Mina, was an attorney. Both his parents had athletic backgrounds, with Eugene playing basketball at Texas A&M and Mina being a tri-sport all-state athlete in high school. Brees' first football experience was flag football, which he played as a kid at school before progressing to tackle football for the first time in high school. He was a varsity letterman in baseball, basketball, and football. He considered playing basketball instead of pursuing a career on the football field. Adversity tested him early when Breeze tore his ACL while playing football in the 11th grade. His college recruitment quickly vanished, but Breeze would come back better than ever. Breeze had a high school completion percentage of 64%, throwing for 5,461 yards and 50 touchdowns. He led his high school football team to a 16-0 season and state championship in his senior year. Recruiters had always said that Breeze wasn't tall enough and didn't have a strong enough arm. He didn't meet the physical requirements of all the big schools in college football, and those problems meant his dream to play for the Texas Longhorns, like his uncle, was crushed. He did, however, land an offer to play for Purdue University. The Boilermakers were looking for a quarterback and saw something in Drew Brees that other colleges overlooked. He chose to attend Purdue over Kentucky, which was his other offer because of their academic reputation. College career. While Purdue was largely considered a basketball school, Drew Brees and his head coach, Joe Tiller, worked together to create the basketball on grass spread offense. The spread offense allowed Brees to play to his strengths, but despite a successful career, he was still labeled a system quarterback by many pro scouts. In his first year as the starting quarterback for the Boilermakers, Brees threw for 3,983 yards with 39 touchdowns and 20 interceptions. He was named the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year. Brees finished four in Heisman Trophy voting in 1999 and could have declared for the NFL draft in 2000, but decided to return to Purdue for his senior year. During that season, he led the team to nail-biting wins over Ohio State and Michigan, sending the Boilermakers to their first Big Ten championship game since 1967. Breeze was voted the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year for a second time and contributed toward his team, earning an invite to the 2001 Rose Bowl, the school's first appearance since 1967. Breeze was again a Heisman candidate after leading the NCAA in total offense and finished third in the running this time. He finished his career at Purdue with 11,792 yards, 90 touchdowns, and 45 interceptions over three years as the starter. He broke two NCAA records, including the most passing attempts in a single game set at 83. He also held another 13 Big Ten conference records and broke 19 Purdue University records. He would later be inducted into the school Intercollegiate Hall of Fame in 2009 and was named the Big Ten's Best Quarterback of the 90s. The Big Ten Quarterback of the Year Award is now called the Breeze Greasy Award, honoring Breeze and another former Boilermaker quarterback, Bob Greasy. Drew
Drew Brees' collegiate resume is remarkable, but it wasn't enough to land him a spot in the first round of the NFL Draft. While he was predicted to be a mid to late first round talent, he dropped to the 64th overall pick in round two and was drafted by the San Diego Chargers. San Diego Days Drew Brees would head to San Diego as the backup quarterback to Doug Flutie, seeing his only action in week eight, where he filled in for Flutie, who suffered a concussion. Those snaps would be the only time Brees made an appearance as a rookie. Brees won the job from Flutie heading into the 2002 season and started all 16 games. The Chargers went eight and eight despite a six and one start, and Brees finished his first full year in the league with 3,284 passing yards, 17 touchdowns, and 16 interceptions. He was benched the following year after after an ugly 1-7 start to the season, with Flutie taking over in Week 9. By Week 15, Breeze was back in as the starter, but his future was far from certain in San Diego. Breeze barely scraped 2,000 yards that year and ended the season with just 11 touchdowns to 15 interceptions. With the quarterback situation uncertain, the Chargers drafted Eli Manning, despite obvious claims that he didn't want to play for San Diego. He was traded after the draft in exchange for fellow rookie Philip Rivers in what became one of the most bizarre draft night stories in the game's history. Rivers, a big rookie quarterback out of NC State, resembled what most teams wanted at the quarterback position at the time, but he held out over his contract and stayed away from practice and training camp. If Rivers hadn't held out, Breeze might have never got the chance to start for the Chargers again. In the 2004 season, Breeze turned his whole career around. He had the best year of his young career to that point by far, putting up 3,159 yards, 27 touchdowns, and only 7 interceptions. The Chargers won the AFC West for the first time in 10 years. Breeze was named the NFL Comeback Player of the Year and was selected to his first Pro Bowl. While he was set to become a free agent, the Chargers locked him in for one more season under the franchise tag. He would play for one more season in San Diego, posting career-high passing yardage at 3,576 yards and the 10th best QBR rating in the league. Things were really looking to have turned around for Breeze, until he went on to tear his labrum while trying to collect his fumble in the season's final game against the Denver Broncos. Despite the injury and subsequent surgery, Breeze, a free agent, was again offered a five-year, $50 million deal to remain in San Diego. Much of the money involved was heavily incentive-based, and the two sides tried to negotiate on a settling point. When the Chargers refused to increase their offer, Breeze tried his hand at free agency. It all came down to choosing between the New Orleans Saints and the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins hesitated due to Breeze's injured shoulder and being undecided about whether it had healed properly. So, the Saints made a reasonable offer, including $10 million guaranteed in the first year. That was all he needed to head to New Orleans. It was a six-year, $60 million offer, and the Miami Dolphins' decision to pull out of the running for the former Purdue quarterback is why Nick Saban resigned from the Dolphins to head back to college football. Hurricane Drew Breeze arrived in New Orleans in 2006, and his first season would be the Saints' return to playing at home after the disaster of Hurricane Katrina. The hurricane that ripped New Orleans apart meant the Saints had to play elsewhere and had a terrible year, finishing 3-13. With Drew Breeze taking over at quarterback and Sean Payton as head coach, the team bounced back in 07. The new duo took the Saints to the NFC Championship game in their first season together, and the Saints' first championship game in franchise history. Breeze had a 
lousy night, and the Saints fell short against the Chicago Bears. The following year, Breeze was electric. Despite the Saints missing the playoffs, he threw for 5,069 yards, becoming the second player in NFL history to throw for over 5,000 yards. It was two seasons later that the Saints would make another playoff push. Breeze set the tone for the season in the very first week. He threw a career-high six touchdown passes against the Detroit Lions, and tied the record for most passing touchdowns through two weeks with nine. He was named NFC Offensive Player of the Month in September. The Saints went on to go 13-0 to start the season, losing their last three games, with Breeze sitting out the regular season finale. The Saints had locked up the number one seed in the NFC and chose to rest Breeze to focus on the playoffs. He was voted second in the MVP race and selected for the Pro Bowl while achieving a completion percentage of 70.62, which set a new NFL record that still stands today. The Saints quickly dispatched the Arizona Cardinals in the divisional round before overtaking the Minnesota Vikings in the NFC Championship game. Breeze threw three touchdowns in both games and the Saints would face the Indianapolis Colts in the Super Bowl. It was Breeze against Peyton Manning. It marked the first Super Bowl between two quarterbacks who threw for over 4,000 yards in the regular season. The Saints went down early and trailed 10-6 in the first half before coming out in the second half with an onside kick attempt, the first in Super Bowl history. The Saints recovered and Drew Breeze went to work. Breeze led the team down the field and the Saints scored a touchdown off their bold onside kick. Manning and the Colts immediately answered, taking a 17-13 lead. Breeze would later lead a fourth quarter draw with the game at 17-16, resulting in a touchdown to Jeremy Shockey and an ensuing two-point conversion to give the Saints a seven-point lead. Tracy Porter stole the show with an interception return for a touchdown to seal the victory for the Saints. Still, Drew Brees had one of the most impressive seasons by any quarterback in NFL history to get them there. Brees was named the Super Bowl MVP, throwing 288 yards and two touchdowns with no turnovers. He was also named Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year following the Super Super Bowl, not only because of his incredible season leading to a championship, but also recognized his incredible efforts in the community to rebuild New Orleans following the devastation of Hurricane Katrina. Breeze described the outcome as destiny while holding the Lombardi Trophy after the game. He believed he was meant to land in New Orleans with his family and do his part to support the city, becoming legendary. In 2011, Breeze achieved the Triple Crown, a feat that requires a quarterback to lead the league in completion percentage, passing yards, and passing touchdowns. In doing so, he broke Dan Marino's 27-year-old record for the most passing yards in a single season, the record he'd come so close to in 2008. Breeze reset the bar at 5,084. He threw 46 touchdowns, setting a new franchise record for passing touchdowns in a single season. The Saints would fall short with a loss to the 49ers in the divisional round of the playoffs, but Breeze was brilliant once again and selected to his sixth Pro Bowl. Following the season, Breeze and the Saints agreed on a five-year, $100 million extension, which included $60 million in guarantees, setting another NFL record. He was paid $40 million of his contract in the first year. That season, Breeze broke NFL legend Johnny Unitas' record for the most consecutive NFL games with a touchdown pass. He threw a 40-yard pass to Devery Henderson against the San Diego Chargers, marking his 48 
28th straight game throwing a touchdown, another record that still stands today. In 2015, Breeze tied the NFL record for the most passing touchdowns thrown in a single game with seven in a 52-49 win over the New York Giants. Breeze threw for 505 yards in that game, marking his second career game of over 500 passing yards. In 2016, he surpassed 50,000 passing yards with the Saints, joining an elite club of five other players to achieve 50,000 passing yards with a single team. He joined Dan Marino, John Elway, Tom Brady, Brett Favre, and Peyton Manning. He was also the first player in NFL history to have over 100 games of 300 plus passing yards. He finished the 2016 season with a 70% completion percentage, the third season of his career of 70% or more. Another great year meant another Pro Bowl selection, the 10th of his career. He broke his own completion percentage record in 2017, ending the year with a 72% completion rate, before breaking it again in 2018 with a 74.4% completion season. 2018 ended a 12-year streak of at least 4,000 passing yards, finishing the year just shy with 3,992. Painfully close. Breeze would finally take the Saints back to the NFC Championship game in 2018, for the first time since their 2009 Super Bowl victory. They fell short of the LA Rams on the night. Still, Drew Breeze was recognized for another great year, finishing second in MVP voting only to Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs. In the final two years of his career, Breeze struggled with numerous injuries, including a damaging injury to his ribs and another to his throwing hand. His final game was quite poetic, with the Saints losing to Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the divisional round of the playoffs. Breeze took one last look in the Superdome he'd played in all those years, and fans knew it was time. After the game, Breeze stood on the field with Brady as old friends talking football while Brady threw footballs for Breeze's children. The scene was a magnificent way to bring it all to a close and round off what was an incredible career from one of the sports greats. Breeze ended his career with a Super Bowl title and accompanying Super Bowl MVP recognition. Two-time Offensive Player of the Year. One-time Comeback Player of the Year. One-time Walter Payton Man of the Year. 13 Pro Bowl appearances. Seven-time NFL Passing Leader Records. Four-time Passing Touchdown Leader Records. And six-time Completion Percentage Leader Records. He is widely recognized as one one of the greatest to ever do it and has the records to match. His record for the most consecutive games throwing a touchdown will be brutal to beat. His highest completion percentage record, which could only be improved by Breeze himself, will also likely stand in the record books for a long time. One heck of a career for Drew Breeze, who almost lost his job to a rookie out of NC State before he went on to win it all and write his name into the game's history. Music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Waste the Talent. You can find them on Instagram at Waste the Talent with X's where the A's would be, and you can find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. All right, let's close the show today with today's ticket presented by Bet Stamp, the Travago of sports gambling. You really do get to see the value of um, line shopping, get to see the best odds from all of the sports books and really get a glimpse at like how you can get the most value on your wagers. You see the value of having multiple different sports books to be able to go to like, okay, we can get an extra, um, like we go from 120 to plus 120 to plus 140 at this place. Those little wins will add up as the year 
goes along. Download the BetStamp app and use the referral code COUCH to let them know that we sent you. NHL schedule tonight, it is Colorado taking on Philadelphia. We like the Avalanche in this game at uh, minus a goal and a half at plus 125 at Bodog is the best number. We also get plus 125 at Bet365 and B-Win for this one. And just again, to let you know the, um, I guess the return on investment gains that you can get, Power play has him at plus 110. So we get a, a plus 15 edge in this one, taking Colorado with uh, minus one and a half. We're going to take that one at plus 125 at bet 3.65. Really good one. Vegas taking on the Boston Bruins. Um, Vegas has kind of hurt us a couple of times, but I do think the, the fact that we can get them at plus a goal and a half, I think this game is going to be close. I like Vegas to take that one. And lastly, um, I do think the Flames are starting to turn a corner. They're taking on a pretty bad Arizona team tonight. We're going to take the Flames minus a goal and a half. The best place to do that does appear to be Bodog. There's a few other spots here. Um, oh, you can get minus two and a half at power play for plus 110. That is interesting. Uh, but looking at it here, there's a few. There's a 140 at Betway, 139 at Tony Bet, um, but then all the way down to minus 125 at Bodog is the place to be for that one. So that will be the pick that we click there. Actually, you know what? It's minus 125 at Bet365. That's also where we went with our Avalanche one. So we're going we're gonna to stay in the family at Bet365 on that one. Moving over to the NBA, and it is another full slate of games in the National Basketball Association this evening. We don't love going against the Raptors. However... Boston's playing some really good basketball right now. And I do feel like the Raptors have kind of stumbled against some upper echelon teams. This game is in Toronto. Um, We're just going to go Boston straight up here. We can get them at plus money at Bodog and at Coolbet. Plus 103, we are going to take that with the Boston Celtics. So I I don't love going against my, my team, the Raptors, but Boston's a better team. I think we can establish that. I think we can feel pretty comfortable in, in saying that. Other than that, not a whole, like, man, the Pacers falling off a little bit like that. Plus 11 against Golden State feels, feels very good, but it does feel like the Pacers are kind of taking a step back. The last one we're going to do today, the Atlanta Hawks taking on the Oklahoma City Thunder. We can get Atlanta at minus five and a half at Betway and Bet Victor. There's minus, uh, all the way up to minus six and a half at Tony Bet. So again, we get an extra point out of this at minus 120 with Betway. So we are going to click on that one. So today's ticket presented by Betstamp. We have the Colorado Avalanche minus a goal and a half and the Calgary Flames minus a goal and a half at Bet365. The Vegas Golden Knights plus a goal and a half. That one at BetVictor. And in the NBA, the Boston Celtics to win straight up over the Raptors at plus 103 at CoolBet. And Betway giving us the Atlanta Hawks minus five and a half against the Oklahoma City Thunder. That is today's ticket presented by Betstamp. And that's today's show. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Thank you to Just Football for the profile on Drew Brees. A link to their YouTube page is in the notes to this show. We'll be back on Wednesday with your power ranking. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. I'm out.